Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 330 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going today, Richard? Doing well, Seth. Excited for the official start of Modern Horizons 2 preview season. Oh, me too. This is the set that I've been waiting for all year. I am so excited for this set. And that's going to be one of our big topics today. But before we get to that, we got another co-host in Krim. How are you today, Krim? I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm actually uh, kind of like shuffling through my uh, secret layer that I just actually opened. Finally came Ooh. in the mail. So I'm happy. <laughs> nice. What secret layer uh, did you get? It was the the Kroxa one and like the fairies one. Oh, like, I, okay. Oh, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not super long, man. No, that was like February, right? So like March, April. So like three months ish from when you from when they went on sale. I guess that, that doesn't sound too ridiculous. I that, guess. that's pretty long in crim time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, that's uh, that is uh, super sweet. So our topics today, we uh, we mostly are talking new magic cards. We have new Modern Horizons 2 spoilers, official start of spoiler season today, but they gave us a bunch of stuff on Thursday. We also have some stuff from the D&D set, which for some reason, Wizards keeps spoiling Forgotten Realms like randomly alongside Modern Horizons. But we got some new cards from that as well. We also had a BNR announcement this week impacting historic that we wanted to talk about a little bit so that's kind of, and then fish mail of course but that's kind of the overview for today but before we get into all that a quick reminder that our sponsor today is card conduit and card conduit you may have heard about them from us before they're a great way to sell your magic collection and they're offering a new service geared towards smaller batches of valuable cards with reduced service fees with their curated shipment service you can sell your cards for the best available buy list price with only a five percent service fee and as with all of card conduit services you don't gotta sort or grade your cards you can just safely package them ship them out and of course, you'll get a detailed report with the results. So check out Card Conduit's curated shipment option as a way to buy list up to 150 cards with fast processing, optimized prices, and a low service fee of just 5%. And right now, you can even get a 10% discount by going over to cardconduit.com slash goldfish. Card Conduit, they're the easiest way to sell your magic cards. So thank you to Card Conduit for supporting the show and at... I guess let's uh, let's talk bannings real quick first. I think this is going to be a relatively short topic, and then we'll spend the rest of the cast talking new magic cards. Uh, so, Krim, I know you're a historic yep. player. What uh, what happened in historic as far as the BNR this week? As a historian, I am actually kind of sad. Uh, but Thassa's Oracle uh, is going bye bye, so that feels kind of bad. I I don't know. I I feel like I, I it might have been a little bit. Like a little bit early on that ban, but I guess it's fine. Uh, it was a pretty popular deck. You did see all, I mean, it also was probably the first time Grixis was tier one in a long time. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, like, so there, there'd been tons and tons of just like, like tainted pack decks running around. Uh, I, I was surprised to see the Oracle go because I think like, you know, tainted pack is going to eventually be busted again. However, uh, you know, like the, there are still things legal in historic that you can kind of like emulate a, uh, a, you know, Oracle deck because you still have Jace, except Jace. And I'm sure people are learning this right now. Jace is much easier to interact with and a lot more like likely to just die and like much more of a fragile combo. 
and more expensive too. So yeah, I mean, Jace right. can do the same thing, but it is definitely a lot worse than Thassa's Oracle. Personally, I was on board with the banning. I actually uh, had made a video a couple days before kind of musing about if it was time to ban it. And I think there's an interesting question as to whether you ban Tainted Pact or Thassa's Oracle. Although, so for me, the argument for banning Tainted Pact is partly what you said, where it could be broken again in the future, and partly that it's just really clunky on Arena, and Historic's only played on Arena, like, the just the way it functions on Arena, there's issues with people, like, almost timing out, and you gotta sit there while every single card exiles, so it just doesn't play that smoothly. On the other hand, Thassa's Oracle, I think the big argument for banning that, and I was kind of in the ban Oracle camp, is... Oracle's been broken in, like, a ton of formats. It, it was broken on Pioneer with Inverter. It's currently broken in CDH, arguably, with Demonic Consultation. Also rose to the top of Historic uh, very quickly once Tainted Pack shows up. And at some point... You gotta think like, okay, are, are these 20 other magic cards that were perfectly fine before we printed Thassa's Oracle a problem, or is it Thassa's Oracle that's the problem? And when you look at it from that perspective, at least for me, I tend to lean towards Thassa's Oracle actually being like the problematic card. And I love alt win conditions. It's just way too easy and way too difficult to, uh, to interact with. So I was happy they got rid of it. I can see what you're saying that they did do it pretty quickly, but they also kind of warned us when they dumped all the mystical archives into the format that they would take quick action if anything broken came from the mystical archives so I, i'm happy with it being I, gone although i do feel bad for for grixis players that was you had like two weeks <laughs> where your deck was, yeah. uh, was actually good <laughs> i mean i i never even actually played the combo itself because i was actually teching against it i was playing like blue sun zenith to target my opponents and <laughs> and baleful mastery so like that, that was, that was how I was like beating those decks left and right. But that probably wasn't a big deal for you then. Cause we kind of saw that at the, the tournament over the weekend where it seemed like how you beat it is just play control with a ton of counter spells. Cause some of the pros were saying like, oh, I play just guy control and that deck's no problem for me. Like I beat it every time. Yeah. Like it, it, it was cause you know, them being just a singleton deck definitely, you know, was something that hurt them. Right. So. I, I was a-okay with that. Uh, but yeah, like, I think at the end of the day, uh, like, it, it's, I, I don't know, maybe, I, I kind of, have, I, I felt like maybe the reason why I could have stayed around was because I think it's okay to have a combo deck in the format. Cause like, do we have, uh, I think do we okay have, have a combo, a combo deck. deck? I mean, I guess it depends on your definition of, uh, combo. I, think of goblins as a combo deck essentially and your combos like ramp and cast muxus <laughs> i don't know if that actually actually qualifies as a combo or not but that's, that's uh, not a combo that's like jokingly combo right <laughs> oh, all right what what about casting a bunch of auras on your core spirit dancer combo or no <laughs> no, no, no that's arc not light, a combo arc light phoenix arc light phoenix and brainstorm combo no. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we don't have another another true combo yeah. deck in in the format. I guess my my definition <laughs> of combo might be a little loose. I think. Uh, I don't know. What do you, you got? Any thoughts on this, Richard? Have you played any historic recently? Nah, can't afford historic, man. <laughs> but I've been beat by Thassa's Oracle in so many formats now that yes, I can see how it could be a problem. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's just. To your points, it's like, where does Wizards want this power level to be? Do you want the fast combos or do you want a slower format? And it's so far, they're like, yeah, probably not fast combos, but I don't know. 
Uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll add some more spicy combos into Historic soon enough. And then I think eventually they will add back in Thassa's Oracle, or at least we'll have cards of that power level in the format. I, I do feel Wizards is really pushing the power level of Historic. So they're trying to balance it, but I do think it's going to be like super powerful rather than kind of just like watered down mid-rangey battles. So I, I do think Thassa's Oracle will come back or be potentially safe at some point in Historic. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think how I look at Historic is... Part of the, a big part of the appeal for me is it's a format where things change really quickly, be it by, okay, random historic anthologies, uh, mystical archives being legal, uh, things like that. Even there's some like random cards that popped up from, I don't want to, was it like commander decks or something? We got a few random cards that were added to it. So you're just constantly having these changes. And then I think bannings and unbannings or suspensions and unsuspensions also play into that. So personally with historic in specific, I would rather have them like be overly aggressive with changing the format rather than be too conservative because no paper cards are impacted and you can easily just unband or unsuspend something and no one's like losing their $1,500, you know, paper deck or something to this like random change by uh, suspending something. So I was pretty happy about it just because I like the constant shakeup aspect of historic and I, I would rather have them overband than underband in historic, I think understandable i mean like yeah like i i i think that's something that they can definitely take advantage of they could also take advantage of just putting more cards in for trial but i kind of thought they were going to be doing that to like correcting the archives themselves not so much the pieces around the archives so you think they should have been tainted pack then like if you were yeah. making the decision is that what you would have done grim yeah yeah i mean uh, i think there's a there's a fair argument for that i just dislike us as oracle at this point also, no, it was just straight out banned. It wasn't suspended or anything, right? They're just like banned. Yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> like like even like the like the broken Simic cards got like suspensions, but this is just like banned. Yeah, it yeah. got the hard swat. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, that's the that's the BNR news. No changes to any other format. Just the Thassa's Oracle in historic change. But we got a lot of new magic cards to talk about, so we should probably move forward and uh, let's talk Modern Horizons 2. We have a ton of sweet stuff. It's only the first official day of spoilers, but Wizards did a stream and spoiled a lot of cards last week. Some of them are pretty interesting, so Richard, why don't you guide us through some MH2 spoilers? All right. First up, we have Dakin, Shadow Slayer, Dakon, Dakin, I don't know, Zesper. <laughs> White, I call them Dakin. Blue, black. Uh, zero starting loyalty. Uh, Dakin enters the battlefield with a number of loyalty counters on him equal to the number of lands you control. Plus one, surveil two, minus three, exile, target creature, minus six. You may put an artifact card from your graveyard uh, or hand onto the battlefield. Uh, is is this good? I mean... I. I, I think that, like, if you're playing Esper, because Esper control is uh, actually popular now, finally, so thank you. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I think that deck doesn't need this. Uh, I, I, I think that you already have, th I'd play another three fairy or another Narset or something along those lines. Yeah, that, that was my initial take on this card is if you're just playing, like, generic Esper control, 
It's hard for me to see this beating out the other busted planeswalkers that we already have in the format. I think you really need to be a deck that can take advantage of the negative six, which you definitely can't do with just a random estimate for control. You're not going to have some bomb artifact to put into play. So I think the card is powerful. Like all those abilities are powerful. It can have a lot of loyalty in the late game, but I think it's going to have to go in a, a brand new deck, some sort of like Esper artifact control, which just is not a thing that exists in modern. So I think it's powerful enough to be played in modern, but it certainly doesn't have a ready built home, in my opinion, then it can just slot into and be an all star. This reminds me of Tezzeret, the, the blue black Tezzeret, where card is really strong, right? Like if you have six lands or five lands, it's like a three man of five or six loyalty planeswalker. You could like double down tick. You could ultimate right away. So it has a lot of things going for it. But like, what do you do with this? And how do you even get to like five or six lands in modern? I don't know. Uh, so I think someone will come up with something like what, what is the scariest artifact you can just drop into modern uh, on turn six? You know, if if this was like before the banning of uh, I already for, uh, Micah Synth Lattice, that's probably something you could drop into play because I was playing an Esper control deck that used Karn the Great Creator, right? And it was it was playing the slow dirtily game and just fairly getting to Micah Synth Lattice. So, yeah. but like that doesn't exist because you know well that that artifact is now banned. So. There has to be a new artifact, and we, we don't know. Maybe there's something coming in Modern Horizons 2. Uh, but for right now, I'm just going to take it as, you know, eh, nothing yet. I mean, there are, we have, we have like Blightsteel Colossus. That's a, a pretty good finisher. There's Platinum Imperion, Sundering Titan. So there are some, some pretty scary artifacts uh, that you could cheat into play, but. I don't think there's anything that just immediately wins the game the way the Lattice Karnlock works. I, I don't think there's something that's like big and hasty and it's just like you put this into play, the game immediately ends. There's stuff that like, oh, if I untap with this, it's probably going to kill you like Blaze Colossus. Uh, whether or not that ends up being good enough, I don't really know. I mean, you do get a lot of value out of the Planeswalker too. Like plus one to surveil too is really powerful. Like that is a really nice ability uh, being able to maybe double down tick and kill two creatures is pretty powerful uh, there's just so many good cheap planeswalkers now that that's kind of the issue if it was pre-war the spark i would probably think this could show up in esper control but now that we have war the spark and have narsa and teferi and so many options that are competing for basically the same slot it looks a little a little weak compared to some of the busted war of the spark stuff yeah it, it just looks fair I think that's the thing. Like it just looks a little too fair. <laughs> this is the new dies to do blade. It looks fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just like not used to it. It's just like, oh, okay, sure. I guess. I mean, I, I thought it would do more, but all right. Next up we have grief. Two black black, three two, uh, creature elemental incarnation coming at mythic. It has menace. When it enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it. That player discards. Evoke, exile a black card from your hand. This card's so busted. I think I think this is my pick for the best modern card we've seen so far from Modern Horizons 2. 
Wow. Uh, it is, it's basically a, a mostly upgraded Unmask, which is a card that does see play back to like Legacy and Vintage, so it'll probably show up there in Unmasked decks. I guess there's a little downside that you can't target yourself with it, which is something you occasionally do with Unmasked to like get your reanimation target in the graveyard. But in Modern, this can lead to some really absurd starts. I think something people have talked about a lot is like Ephemerate. You just play this on turn one for free. Thought sees your opponent, blink it with Ephemerate, Thought sees your opponent again, and then on your turn two, you blink it a third time. You get three Thought Seizes across the first two turns of the game and a 3-2 Menace body. That seems like it should just win the game in a lot of matchups. Like, your opponent's probably going to have what? three lands in one spell, maybe four lands in hand in a lot of matchups, if you can do this, and you're doing it on turn one. Like, your opponent potentially has not even made their first land drop if you're on the play, and you are going to double Thought Seize them and have one more that is still coming. So I think if you build around this card, absolutely insane. I think this card is super powerful. I think this card is just perfectly okay. I don't know. Is is Modern a place where you, th you think you can you know, to like, I guess like hate bears or the, the, the Orzov taxes decks. Sure. Like that's probably where this is going to go. But other than that, is there an ephemerate? Like, are you loading your deck up with a bunch of ephemerates and, and, and whatnot? Like, I don't think so. Well, if I, I, I tend to agree with you. Just win the game. Okay. Okay. Really? Seth, you've never played Jund before because you have, I have plenty of games, triple thought sees someone. Yeah. It cost me some mana. <laughs> But I have still convincingly lost off the triple thoughts. So. <laughs> convincingly lost, <laughs> by the way. Like not even a shot, right? They're like, cool, land, 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 Jace, what you got? I'm like, oh, well, thanks. I'll uptick red and sticks. Cool. <laughs> no, but I think, I think it is a strong card, but I don't think it's like universally powerful. I think eight yeah. rack decks. Uh, we have Urza Saga, uh, remember? So I, I do think... You can do this, but like if you have ephemerates in your deck, there are hands where you draw like little like thought season ephemerate and then you're like down a card, right? Like that card does literally nothing unless you have grief. So yes, there's some potentially like busted combo starts and Jund might even play this like the fairway. Like you just thought sees grief pitch a card and then make it up with Bob is decent, but I don't know that it's broken. I, I don't know. I'm not convinced yeah. yet, I, but I do think like eight rack gets a gets a new toy. <laughs> I I think I'm way higher on this card than uh, than both of you are. I, it's not even that bad if you just cast it for four mana. Like thought not C or C's play, and this has a downgraded body but an upgraded discard effect since you uh, or a very similar discard effect. You don't have the downside of your thought not seer dying and your opponent getting back the card. So I feel like it's comparable to that with the additional upside and with the ephemeral shenanigans. Also important to point out, this is part of a cycle. So while the plan of like I need grief and ephemera in my opening hand might sound far fetched when you need grief or the green or the white or the, you know, all the other versions of this card theoretically or you need like ephemerate or malachar rebirth or our tomer's favorite mdfc like can also pull off the similar shenanigans and be a black card that allows you to do the double thought seize trick i think once we see the rest of the cycle maybe that plan will look a little bit more consistent yeah well, once you see more uh for sure like maybe but like for right now i i just don't think modern is in a place where it, it cares <laughs> yeah. I, I also like, don't like the free spell aspect of it. I don't. I don't think it's currently too busted. Maybe I'll eat my words later. But 
we don't need more free spells. There's like no counterplay to it. You just like cast for free, right? Like it costs a card, but all cards come with so much card advantage nowadays. Like the card doesn't really matter. It's like, you know, saying Phyrexian mana costs life. Like sure, right? But <laughs> ah, like, hmm, I don't know. I don't really like it. I, I just don't think the effect of thought seizing people is as hype as we make it out to be because I, <laughs> I've thought these people into the ground and still because you only need two cards to win in modern now, right? It doesn't matter that I like took four of your best cards off the top, you get your combo and you win. So I, I'm not hyped on more thought seasons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up, we have uh, a controversial reprint, maybe. We have Cabal Coffers uh, coming in at Mythic. Yeah. <laughs> And coffers is a two-mana tap, add black for each swap you control. Currently a $100 card coming in at Mythic in Modern Horizons 2. Does does this actually, like, first off, make it even any cheaper in the long run? They have to, like, Tarmogoyf this, right? They, like, I mean, they have to give it the Tarmogoyf treatment. Long run, no. Like, I, I think it'll uh, get a discount for a bit while the set's in print, but at long run, I think Cabal Coffers is still going to be super expensive. Yeah, I, I think it'll still be super expensive. It might get a little bit cheaper, but I don't know by how much exactly. It won't be a hundred dollars, thankfully. But yeah, so like, I however, I do think that I mean, like, is is this getting played though? Like, what decks use Cabal Coffers? Like, probably eight rack and stuff like that. Maybe I'm pretty skeptical that Cabal Coffers is going to be good in modern. Personally, like, I think it's, I think it's fun. And I could imagine that I think people are going to try it for sure. Maybe there's some like Golgari Primeval Titan deck that's going to, you know, tutor it out along with Urborg or something. But I'm actually not sure how good this is. And just like a random black deck, uh, you want non-swamp lands in your deck. Usually if you're playing something like Iraq, you want your Muta Vaults and you're going to need Urborg to have this be good. You're going to have the risk that you just have like two of these in your hand and no Urborg and kind of just like lose to yourself which so i'm actually like not sure that this card is going to be that great in modern i'm really excited to try to build around it but i see this more as like a commander reprint but being at mythic means it's not actually that impactful of a reprint egg and that's the part that makes me most upset with this card because outside of the fact it was a 115 dollars card or whatever before it was reprinted like there's no reason this has to be mythic there's there's no no justification it is just like purely a price thing so the it would break it, I limited is, i don't even think it's very good in limited <laughs> yeah it's pretty it's pretty bad <laughs> I, I mean the I don't know, cabal stronghold like the the fixed coffers was a rare right so it was nick Thos yeah. is a rare somewhat recently yeah i don't i don't know i mean it's clear that wizards just does it according to price i, I can't think of a justification for this <laughs> and yeah, i don't this think it's modern been. playable at all like it's not it doesn't tap for mana unless orborg is out so like yes maybe if you're playing like some weird mono black deck you might play this but i i don't think you would slot this in unless you had some combo like uh primeval titan or something with it but why would you fetch this up with prime time when you can fetch a field uh so i don't know it's also super slow. Like, you also got to remember, like, for this to start making mana, you need four lands. Like, if you're playing a lot of decks in modern, you're <laughs> dead to Heliod combo, or you got blitzed out by the time that this actually does anything. So, I think if it does show up, it's going to be in a deck that doesn't exist at this point. I don't think you just throw it into the pre-existing decks. All right. Next up, we have Profane Tutor 
no mana cost. Sorcery at rare, suspend two, uh, one in a black for suspend. Search your library for a card, put that card in your hand, then shuffle. <laughs> I, this, as we're told, gets to use this, I guess. <laughs> Is this good? This card, I, I see this as uh, a way to send a strong message to your commander table that they need to kill you in the next two turns. <laughs> like, I, I think that that's all that this card really does, is you suspend it and everyone attacks you and you die. Like, even the for told decks, they can cast it. But when you, I don't know if they want to cast it. Like, I, I feel like, what are you going to do? You're going to profane tutor to tutor up restore balance so you can actually cast a free spell that does something. I, I'm actually, I think this card, I like the reference and the callback to it, but I actually don't know if I think it's good at all, even in commander. Like, would you, I think I would play diabolic tutor over this in commander. Honestly, I think I would rather have a tutor that I can top deck and cast and get what I need than this, that I'm going to have to suspend for two turns and wait, you know, for my the rest of the table to kill me before I get the card to save myself. You also definitely, like, signal that, hey, get that opposition agent and dunk me, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, like, I, I think this is something that in Commander isn't great. In Modern, I don't know if I want to play this. Is this like, too slow in Modern? Yeah, I, I think so. So, like, okay, you suspend slow. on turn two with the plan on comboing on turn four. Are you already dead? You know, is this too slow? Is it too telegraphed? Because it, it does have an upside, right? The upside is you dodge thought seizes, right? You you get that card out, you save two mana on your combo turn, but your combo turn is on turn four. Is that too slow? And it's like super telegraphed, right? So is that yeah. too much? But I mean if you're and a combo deck, everyone knows deck. you're going off anyway, right? Like is there anything to hide? It's just like what do you got to stop it, right? So yeah, I mean, maybe like an ad nauseum style shell, like ad nauseum suspends Lotus Bloom. And when they suspend Lotus Bloom, you know, you're dying the turn it comes down, like almost for sure. And they get away from away with it. And that takes several turns. So maybe in a deck like that, if this is literally like if this resolves, I'm going to win the game. Maybe maybe it has a shot. I guess you also have the the inconsistency issues like profane tutor if you spend it on turn two pretty sweet if you top deck it on turn four you're probably gonna be pretty sad that it's a, a tutor that doesn't actually do anything for two more turns and then it's definitely gonna be too slow in most matchups so i don't know maybe maybe a combo deck can take advantage of it i'm not really yeah. excited about it in the free spell decks though that downside is a lot like remember ancestral vision when people thought it was like so good and then like, well, what happens I, I if you have, draw it on turn five? <laughs> You're like, oh, oh cool. Oh, <laughs> Sweet. Speaking, speaking of that, I played Ancestral that Visions banned. recently. I, I, yeah, I, I played an Ancestral deck recently, and I had multiple games where I suspended it on turn one and did not live for it to come off suspend. <laughs> so well, I guess that kind of works. <laughs> yeah, that works against Profane Tutor, because I think it would be the same the same turn that it would come down. So, uh, All right. Next up, we have Rashadden Dockhand. One blue, so a single blue mana, one mana value. It's a one-two merfolk at rare island walk. One mana, tap, tap target land. I think this card is sweet. I I I don't like Rishadin Port itself in modern, but I think this card is totally fine. And this is a very cool like it Merfolk. It's a Merfolk. Merfolk finally got something new that isn't like really like like a mist caller. So <laughs> this card has been pretty it looks like it'd be pretty fun uh to play with. I don't know like if you would I don't know what deck it goes in, like, outside of Merfolk. Would you bring this in against, like, just, I don't know, out of the sideboard or something? 
blue white taxes i maybe some sort of blue white tax deck i think i'm mostly looking at it like a merfolk card personally i think it does make it in merfolk i think one of merfolk's weaknesses is its one drop slot is actually like super bad they have curse catcher which is not as exciting as it was a decade or two ago and uh they have after that the oh the thing that can loot one time benthic benthic something where you put the plus one plus one counter on it and loot but after that there's just not a whole lot of good one drop merfolk i think this is especially synergistic in merfolk because merfolk gonna be playing their uh spreading seas seas claims ways to turn things into islands and then you can use this to snipe the lands that actually make colors of mana that your opponent can use and actually need so i feel like this is a big addition to merfolk i'm very confident it'll show up there outside of merfolk yeah, I don't know. Like, how good is tapping a single a single land in the modern format? To me, it feels like it's just a little bit slow and lacking in power. And like that one land is not going to do that much unless you're backing it up by other resource denial. I think that's where ports good in legacy is you're porting and you're also like wastelanding and you can really have this game plan of resource denial. Can you really do that in modern? Do we have the pieces? I guess maybe if you're taxes and you have like Leon and Arbiters and Ghost Quarters and kind of really build around it. But I think it's a lot harder to make uh, this effect good in modern than it is in Legacy without Wasteland. All right. Let me let me drop you some like eight year old Legacy knowledge. OK, <laughs> I used to be a Burfolk aficionado <laughs> in, in Legacy. <laughs> and this was like Spiky Richard. I, I actually mapped out all the ways to kill people fast. Right. Like. How do you like what are the what are the opening hands to get people dead by turn three or turn four and all of that? And your one drop matters, right? That curse catcher you play needs to be pumped and needs to attack so you finish the game. So being your one drop and making it be your Rashad import is definitely bad, right? That's like, you know, two damage on turn two, three damage on turn three, that's five damage. That's like a whole other turn off your clock. Uh, so you don't want that. And also in modern, you want to turn one. Ether Vial, right? You don't want to turn one Dock Hand, right? And the idea is you turn one Ether Vial, your Vial casts your Merfolk, and then you use your your port and all your lands to basically lock them down while you Ether Vial and stuff. And this doesn't support that curve either. So I don't think it's that good. And then also, Seth mentioned you don't have the Wasteland to follow it up, right? It's usually a Wasteland plus a port that will get people. A single port usually doesn't matter. And then this thing can also be killed. So I actually don't think it's that good. Maybe it just makes the cut because our one drops in, in modern kind of suck. But I, I don't think it's close to Rashad and Port in, in any way. I did not know you were you were a Merfolk aficionado, Richard. That was my just, first legacy I deck. I actually just learned this. That was my first legacy. Oh. I, I, I hardcore went to... This was a time where I drove around to tournaments and like you know was trying to top eight and i would like actually analyze my play and think and like you know like really try really try hard right so like the one drop matters a lot it actually matters a lot for you closing out the game uh so i I don't think tapping your one drop is any good the whole point of port is it's a land uh and you can just use it when you uh, are using your ether vial to drop in stuff uh next up we have uh thrasta tempest's roar 12 mana value, 10 green green, 7 7. It's a green mythic. This spell costs 3 less to cast for each other spell cast this turn. Trample haste, trample over planeswalkers. This creature deals excess combat damage to the controller of the planeswalker it's attacking. 
Thrasta has hexproof as long as it entered the battlefield this turn. I I think this card's like fun. I think it looks cool. Uh, I it, it, and there's like I don't know. Everybody's saying this is like Regisaur, but before it died. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, it is this good enough though? Like this is just a fancier Galta, right? I I have not figured out how good this card is. There are like. There are ways to get this cost down to two mana pretty easily. Manamorphoses, gut shots, lava darts, like that's all those cards already see play in blitz stacks. And then you could also go like the creature plan with like chaining together burning tree emissaries and hidden herbalists and topping off your curve with this. So there are there are ways to have this on the battlefield, like on turn two or something, which seems insane. My only concern is like consistency issues. Like, uh, I don't know. I've played Galtas and it feels insane when it works and it feels just busted when you just like, oh, big thing, big thing, Galta smash you win the game. But then the games when like your opponent rasts your board or whatever and then you top deck Galta and you're like, oh my God, that's only eight more land drops and we'll, we'll be there. So yeah. there's some consistency issues, I think, which that's my concern with the card. I think it's powerful. Is it going to be too inconsistent or are people going to value like less powerful but more consistent threats for their like blitz decks or burning tremissary decks? That's kind of is, like what I'm thinking about it. Is it powerful? I'm very confused. It's a 7-7. Seven, seven. So you smack someone and then they untap and kill it and you spent your whole turn trying to do this? Like shouldn't this like deal a lethal blow? I mean... It's a it's a seven seven trample haze. They can't kill it the turn that it comes yeah, in. Yeah, so they the take seven to the face. Okay, so you stormed off. Okay, and then you took seven and to how the do face. You, and how do you kill? No, no. Well, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I and guess then you untap and you're like the fairy question. bounce, cool beans. <laughs> like I, I'm not. Like, I mean, it, it dodges fatal push. It dodges lightning bolt. Like I guess path does get it, but path gets pretty much everything. I don't, it, it seems somewhat resilient to me. Like, I mean, sure, there's ways it can Doom go Blade, wrong. This is too good. But, like, like you, you, you had to work really hard to make this happen, right? Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I, that, I'd rather just play, like, thing. burning trees and hit them with a bushwhacker, no? Like, wouldn't that be a more effective plan here? <laughs> <laughs> but it's a dinosaur. It's a, it's a cool dinosaur. <laughs> Like, if but it yeah, had crater hoof capabilities, right. like, if it pumped on ETV such that you could kill someone. I, I mean, could, it's a turn 2-7-7 seven, seven with haste and trample. Like, it, it that seems That required, powerful. like, four other cards in your hand to, like, go off perfectly, right? Turn yeah, yeah, two? That's the consistency issue. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, oh, let me put it this way. I can get, like, a turn 2-6-7 Tarmogoyf. Is that good enough? And I just literally just cast that thing. <laughs> Well, no, then your opponent plays a, a turn to 7-7 seven, seven Death Shadow and you're just out of luck. <laughs> exactly. So maybe, this thing maybe just runs into a Death Rasta. Shadow and be like, cool. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess Hexproof does not get around Death Shadow, unfortunately. It needs it needs protection from Death Shadow, maybe. I I think the card, yeah, like it's it's not useful in any deck that exists now. It needed infect, that's what it needed. <laughs> no, no, you, you, no. No, no, please no. And I mean, you could splash it in the Blitz decks. I don't know if that would be wise, but... Double green splash? Yeah, it's, you got fetch lands. Anything's possible. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah, like, I, you got Manamorphose. Oh, that's true. You do have Manamorphose. That actually, sure. But 
I mean, whether or not it's it's worth it, because just like the consistency thing, uh, the Blitz decks, they like being consistent. They play their one drops. They cast a bunch of spells. You die on turn three or turn four. Do they uh, do they want to add an inconsistent card to their deck, even if it gives them a potential turn two, seven, seven? Is a turn two, seven, seven with Trample and Haste, is that even enough in modern? Like, uh, I, I don't know. I like the design, but uh, and, I don't know any shot as a sideboard card in Storm. <laughs> that that would be sick though. Where you're like they brought in pyroclasms for my <laughs> enter the wardens, but surprise, it's Thrasta. <laughs> You'll need your playset. <laughs> it, it actually maybe like it doesn't care about graveyard hate. It doesn't care about the sweepers that would get rid of you know one one goblins. So may, maybe like, like maybe your storm counts does. a lot less, right? You don't need to storm as hard, and yeah, maybe just bring a seven seven. They literally have no removal because they weren't expecting this to happen right the removal was pyroclasm so maybe and you just get him in three turns yeah <laughs> i could yeah. see that that's a that's kind of a cool plan all right uh next up we have unmarked grave one in a black sorcery at rare search your library for a non-legendary card put that card in your graveyard then shuffle so i mean this calls back to entomb entomb is one less mana it's instant speed and it gets legends, which that might actually be the biggest drawback of this card. Uh, when you think about what you're normally entombing in 60 card formats, it's like Grizzlebrand, Iona, maybe Emrakul if you're in instant speed reanimation deck. Those are all legends. I think <laughs> this only hitting non-legends really limits uh, the cards that you are going to be able to tutor up with it. So... I actually don't know if this will do much in modern. I guess it's cool that you can get like... I don't know, a, a Crater Hoof Behemoth or a Woodfall Primus or something or World Spine Worm. Or you could get uh, the Unburial Rites and put it in your graveyard to flash it back if you already have a big threat in your graveyard. But I think this is probably just like Entomb 2 for Commander decks. If you're playing Entomb and Commander, I think that you probably play this like, uh, you know, 100% of the time and have two Entombs instead of one. Yeah, I, I think this and is great in Commander. Any chance Dredge plays this? Are, are you ever that desperate to get a card to your graveyard? <laughs> I don't think you have. There's no like. There's no reason for you to. It's not like it's ha it has a shortage of ways to get creatures <laughs> in their yard. So yeah, I, I I would doubt it in Dredge. Yeah, I don't I don't think maybe, Dredge needs uh, this. Hmm. Maybe I thought about Storm, like getting your past in flames or something like. But even that, like, is that worth it? Or do you just play more cantrips and whatnot and trust that you're going to find it when you need it? So there's possibilities, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it or not. I don't think it's worth it so far. All right. Uh, last card. Uh, we have squirrels. Squirrels are a big theme in Modern Horizons. And we have a new legendary squirrel, Chatterfang Squirrel General. Two and a green, three, three, legendary creature, squirrel, warrior, forest walk. If one or more tokens would be created under your control, those tokens plus that many one, one green squirrel creature tokens are created instead. Black, sacrifice X squirrels, target creature gains uh, plus X minus X until end of turn. <laughs> I mean, look, <laughs> I, I think this is a pretty cool card. Like, I... <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I'm playing this in modern, but I think this is a pretty cool card. Now you can finally have that, uh, you can build that full on just Toski deck. Yeah. I mean, so in modern, 
Squirrels will be, they'll be in against the odds deck. There, there are, I was looking at, it. I actually threw together a deck today just to see if it was possible. And it doesn't look like it's going to win a ton of games, but there is a, there is a squirrel curve that can work where you're like, you're playing this and you have some other, there's a new two mana squirrel lord that's also in modern horizons. There's deep forest hermit. So it, it could, it could function and probably steal <laughs> some games. I don't think it's going to like be a tier deck by any stretch. On the other hand, I think this is going to be a massively popular commander for some reason magic players love squirrels i i've never really figured out why they're like they have this huge cult following and it always surprises me just how beloved the tribe is and they really don't have a, a commander you got toski yes it is a legendary squirrel but it doesn't actually refer to squirrels specifically i guess ideas like oh squirrels go wide and you draw some cards I feel like this is not as powerful as Toski because Toski's busted, but if you want to build an actual squirrel deck that cares about the creature type, this is a cool commander. Almost all the squirrel cards in existence make tokens, so this is powering them up. It gives you some removal. I feel like this is going to be really, really popular. Like, it might be the most popular commander from the set. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's also, I, I think the, the reason why I think squirrels are always just, like, entertaining is that you, just, like, the imagery that you play that out in, like... A bunch of squirrels just took down an Emrakul or something. You know what I mean? Like they, like <laughs> the, it, like the memes. The, yeah, like that's just the imagery that I think is hilarious. So that's why I love squirrels. <laughs> In Coco right. into it. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Coco squirrels. <laughs> I mean, that does seem like the right play if you're playing squirrels. Uh, yeah. Okay. So wizards also dropped some adventures in the Forgotten Realms, the D and D set. Uh, so we'll go over uh, two cards. We have Lalt Spider Queen, three black black, mythic planeswalker, four starting loyalty. Whenever a creature you control dies, put a loyalty counter on Lalt. Zero, you draw a card, you lose a life. Minus three, create two, two, one black spider creature tokens with menace and reach. Minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever an opponent is dealt combat damage by one or more creatures you control. If that player lost less than eight life this turn, they lose life equal to the difference. This is a, a standard card uh, because it's the new D&D set. What do you guys think? This is a really unique Planeswalker. I think, I think the big aspect of this card that I find interesting is the fact that you can probably ultimate it right away. If you're playing some sort of sacrifice deck, I think this would probably go in some sort of sacrifice deck, some sort of go wide deck, but it seems pretty easy to like hunt for specimens, woe strider, you know, play this, sack a few tokens, and your first activation will be the negative eight. On the other hand, the ultimate isn't that insane. Like, it does improve the damage of your small go-wide creatures, which is nice. Being able to hit with an eye twitch and your opponent takes eight damage is pretty insane, but it's a little bit conditional. It's not one of those Planeswalker ultimates that just straight up wins the game on the spot. So, I guess I went and the the zero ability is nice like the Frexine arena draw a card lose an extra life each turn like no one's ever going to complain about drawing an extra card each turn even though as we've kind of talked about before there's so much incidental card advantage or virtual card advantage built into cards these days that I think that just like straight up draw card effects maybe lose a little bit of their luster compared to a few years ago when that was like a big a uh, big deal to be able to draw two cards a turn uh, but I do think this card's powerful I think it's narrow I think it's got to go and sacrifice or some sort of go wide token style deck but in that deck 
I think it could be a pretty uh, a pretty decent option. I think this could have been at four mana. <laughs> it seems a little bit slow at five. I I don't know. Maybe is it just like am I hardened by the last two years of standard? You know what I mean? Like because like this this just seems okay. Okay yeah. is probably a good description. I think it's okay, but I hate this design. I I dislike. The Garrick ability where like when your stuff dies, you pump your planeswalker because this thing is incredibly hard to kill with normal means. Like they play their planeswalker, you're like, cool, let's attack it. But I can't because I have two two one reach spiders that block, and when anything dies, it pumps their Loth into ultimate. So I actually really dislike that, right? You have to play like the Dreadbore Hero's Downfall effects to get rid of this thing. So in that sense, I, I really dislike the design. Uh, I think it's a fine Planeswalker. I think that the two spiders are very sneaky. They have reach, very hard to kill. You need trample to fight with combat. The minus eight is, I'm assuming, a flavor thing. I don't know anything about this character from D&D, but I assume that is a flavor ability because it's a very strange ability where you hit up to eight damage per, per hit each turn. Yeah, I, I think that's a flavor thing. I have no idea anything about D&D, so like for me, this is just... I'm just looking at it at face value, so... <laughs> by, by the way, I don't know anything about D&D, so people can correct me, but I did see ads with Lalt in them on YouTube. So I assume there's a new D&D product coming out with Lalt as the, the center of it, which is why they pushed out these previews early. Because I, I am seeing ads with this character on for D&D uh, floating around the uh, internet. That, uh, that makes sense. The other thing I was going to add is, it seems decent in some Richard style commander decks because the ultimate it does trigger on each opponent so you can like ultimate this and then hit everyone with a bird and they take eight or something so in some of the the janky go wide Toski decks that you like playing seems like it might not be the worst if you can ultimate it right away nah this, this is like a Garrick emblem except it doesn't finish the job <laughs> it gets you killed <laughs> yeah. immediately like, like it doesn't matter what it I is it's an emblem true. it looks scary but you can't finish the job so all you did was just like Put a mark on yourself to be executed. <laughs> so I, I don't just, like this. <laughs> just suspend your profane tutor and find an answer. <laughs> <laughs> you suspend it and then you, you somehow live through the suspension and you, you get lolf and you cast lolf. <laughs> and and I implement and live through that. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I, I think it's a real thing. Remember, I, I was like, should I Garrick ultimate? Because I'm totally going to die. I'm not ready to win, but I can Garrick ultimate, right? And I did. And I proceeded to die you did die <laughs> yeah, yeah so like that's what happens right so i i don't know that you could fire off this ultimate willy-nilly because it looks scary enough but it's not actually that scary you can't finish the job so that's like would this be better if it were just not through combat damage like it was just if a creature did damage at all that would make it that would make it yeah. better yeah because you could ping during your turn for eight and then ping during their turn for eight or something you could like rack right. up the damage a lot faster that would right. make it way scarier in sacrifice decks with things like mayhem devil i guess like oh. uh, if you could just like naturally ping and get your opponent for eight with a mayhem devil ping yeah like that but i don't think that's like i mean it's an ultimate right so i don't think that's like a, a thing that's too powerful for an ultimate but it's not a hard ultimate. and it's five you mana could, you could five drop ultimate right i don't think that's unreasonable in a sacrifice deck yeah i mean it's still five mana planeswalker i think the other thing is like you got Corvold. Is this actually, even in a sacrifice deck, even if they did change it to upgrade it for the sacrifice deck, are you going to play it over Corvold? Because Corvold's pretty busted and offers a lot of, like, immediate value. Good news that Corvold rotates soon? Mm -hmm. That's that's true. No, that's, that is true. It does rotate soon. 
Man, yeah. I like it. I don't think it's busted, but I like this planeswalker. Yeah, like it, it's it's just okay, I think, and I like I like it. It's just okay. I like that it's unique. It actually looks a little different than all the uh, typical planeswalkers we see, so that's good. Uh, all right, uh, last card we'll talk about Drizzt Duerden. Uh, three green and a white. <laughs> sorry, D&D fans. Sorry, sorry. Three, three legendary creature, elf ranger, double strike. When Drizzt enters the battlefield, create Gwynyar, a legendary 4-1 green cat creature token with trample. Whenever a creature dies, if it had power greater than Drizzt's power, put a number of plus one, plus one counters on Drizzt equal to the difference. Uh, this this reminds me a lot of Tolsamir. It reminds yeah. me of like an aggro Tulsimir. And maybe it's just like the mana cost, but it's like very similar. It's a fine body. It makes a token. Uh, Tulsimir was at its best when it was like stabilizing you with the fight effect and life gain. This wants to be a lot more aggressive. You get a more aggressive a token and you get a double striking body. Like if you think about what this adds to the battlefield, 3-3 three, three double strike and a 4-1 cap that is technically 10 power and toughness uh, as far as attacking across two bodies. And then this can get pretty big and it does trigger when any creature dies not just your creatures so if your opponent's big stuff dies you get counters on it oh i don't know it feels kind of fair to me for standard really i i guess maybe like standard just it's been so strong and so pushed maybe it'll feel a lot different after rotation when uh, a lot of the most busted cards leave but right now i don't know this feels like kind of like a joke in our current standard like you're gonna do this and your opponent's gonna untap an emergent ultimatum you and yeah and like, nice <laughs> nice cat over there does it but uh but yeah oh, check out ember cleave yeah <laughs> yeah but the world will look a lot different after rotation so maybe after rotation it'll have a home in standard i do think it's a cool voltron commander like you play it you can play it with fraxian dreadnought <laughs> like have it die put a ton of counters on it one shot someone or something like it's kind of a cool i feel like i've said that a lot with with all the cards we've talked about today like yeah it's a cool commander card but i think it is kind of like a, a neat commander card does it yeah, work like evoke if you evoke a creature does it sacrifice it does. what happens it does right so you can evoke things to pump this you can dreadnought to pump this yeah i, I see some one shot kills in commander coming uh, yeah okay yeah maybe in like commander sure the, the this in standard though just right now when the set comes out it just doesn't seem like it's gonna do much this card i i would agree with that and there isn't really a home like what would you even i mean i guess you play some sort of like selesnia stompy deck and play it with love struck beasts and stuff but there's the naya fling deck or whatever you know like the naya fling and you can use showdown at the scalds but this just doesn't seem like it has a home yeah i would i would kind of agree with that for the time being but reevaluate after rotation uh because things are gonna look a lot different yeah fully all right so those are all the previews we want to talk about there are a ton more uh coming out as we're actually recording this so you can check out mtgpreviews.com to get all the latest previews and of course we have the daily preview videos on the youtube channel uh so shall we fish mail gentlemen fish yep. mail us richard if you have questions send them to at mtg goldfish with the hashtag mtg fish mail and we'll get to your questions on air Q dig. Seth and Krim make their income from playing Magic. Krim even spikes tournaments here and there. You don't need Watsi to sanction pro status. Don't you think your definition of pro is too limited? I think that's an interesting I mean, question. Like, 
I think there's a difference between a pro magic person and a pro magic player. And I think it is worth like separating those out. I think maybe the best example of this is like the professor at Tolarian Community College. He is one of the biggest names in magic. If anyone is a pro magic person, it's prof, but prof is not even someone who plays that much magic as far as content is concerned. And definitely not someone who's going to tournaments or anything. So I don't know. Does those two groups fall in the same classification? Like I think of them differently, but maybe that's the wrong way to think about it. Technically, I think prof might be the most professional magic player. (laughs) Right. Or the most yeah. pro, like professional magic person. So, yeah. no, I think he is. Yeah. Like, I mean, like there's I don't know. I think we're splitting hairs. Right. Like it, uh, is Card Kingdom a pro magic player? They make money related to magic cards. Right. Like content creators make money related to magic, obviously. Right. But I think when we say pro, we actually mean pro player and we actually mean someone who's playing the game. Right. And pro players make a lot of their money from content. Right. But when they make content, I would call them a content creator. Right. So when when we think pro magic, we're thinking of like tournament results and like direct sponsorships into that. So that's what I mean when I say pro. It's a short for pro player. But of course, there are a lot of people that make money related to magic, like ultra pro, like game stores, like Card Kingdom, content creators like us, uh, websites like Scryfall. Like we're all quote unquote pro, but we're just not pro players. Yeah, I think I think that puts it well because I don't can I don't consider myself a pro player, and the main thing I do is play is play magic. Like that is that is what my content is for the most part is playing magic. But uh, but yeah, I don't consider myself a pro player in the same way that I'd consider Reed Duke or someone a pro player. I haven't. Yeah, like th- that's. Oh, man, I haven't even my pro days are so far. But my Cri- pro is the only one that's won a tournament like anytime anyone can remember here at Goldfish. So Crib is the yeah. proest of pro players. <laughs> I'm the spikiest player here. That's that's not great. <laughs> Yo, when, when are they bringing team Grand Prix back? We need to go for the memes. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, I'm so down. But like, I'm so down for the O2 sushi. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Uh, at the big large with no pro scene and no way to make living off of magic, do you think there will be less pressure to solve the metagame and formats will stay more interesting for longer? I think it's a misconception that there won't be a pro scene. I think there will not be like pro players subsidized with full-time incomes by wizards, but I think you're still going to have people who are pro players, but they're uh, the pro players are probably going to do a mixture of like playing in tournaments, content creation, sponsored stuff. Uh, so my, I would say no. I don't think it's going to have an impact on the metagame because I think uh, there will still be pro players. It'll just be in a different way than traditionally where Wizards provides like most of the income. The income is going to come from from different sources, I would think. That's my yeah. guess at least. Yeah, that's 100% what I think would have to happen. Uh, because, I mean, yeah, like the, I, they, they very much so have made it a, like, like a thing where now like they don't – I don't think they think they – they need the pro scene, right? Like, yeah, I, like they—they've made it apparent that they don't need the pro scene. Even if the yeah. pro scene were to disappear, which I, I agree with Seth, actually, that it'll keep going no matter what, even without Watson. But even if it were to disappear, people will still solve the metagame. I think the metagame is actually solved by normal people and not the pro pros, right? I think the the bulk of the legwork is done by just people like you and me, 
playing, trying to optimize, and maybe pros refine it a little bit, but there are a lot of quote-unquote serious players that do not make any money from Magic the Gathering at all, and those people will continue to solve and push the metagame and, you know, invent the next Oko deck and Uro deck and whatever. So I, I think that's just the nature of a game and a competitive game. There will always be people to push it, even if they're not being paid money to do so. Uh, last question. Juzams to Plowshares. I only play Constructed on Arena, and I get the daily quest completed. I save my golden gems up to play Limited. What should I spend my accumulated wildcards on? Ooh. Um... Uh, not standard at the moment with a rotation approaching, I guess. Uh, I guess I would say either buy a historic deck that looks interesting or keep saving them until after rotation and then buy a standard deck. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say historic personally, just because I feel like it's nice to play a format that, you know, doesn't rotate. Unless your thoughts is Oracle, then yeah. you rotate. Yeah. But, but, I don't know but even historic then, recommendation because it changes so wildly. Right. I, I, I think standard is a safer bet and you just wait for rotation. And especially since they play a lot of limited, they're going to be stocking up on like standard staples anyway from naturally drafting, which you might not have historic staples because you're not buying historic anthologies. So I think standard is the play at, at rotation to see uh, what's happening there. And then I would get cards that, you know, will not be rotating for a long time. Yeah. And yeah, so that's all our fish mail. Thank you to everyone who sent them in. If you have questions, send them to at MTGGoldfish with the hashtag MTGFishMail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that brings us to the end of episode 330 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard Krim, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And we will be back next week to talk about more Modern Horizons, and whatever else goes on in the world of magic. So until then, have a great week, everyone. And this is Aku signing out.